glad you all are here again uh, with us. We've been studying the person of Christ uh, since it is around Christmas time, uh, where we celebrate that the Son of God assumed a human nature. He took on flesh. And so we want to think for a few weeks about what exactly that means, what the Bible says about that. And so this week and next week will be our, our last ones. Uh, some of you have not been with us, so I hope that you can follow along with some of this. Uh, we've been going pretty in-depth on these things, and we're going to go even deeper and deeper. And you're going to say, how can we get even, even deeper than this? And we're going to keep going deeper and deeper even next week. Uh, I'm going to begin with a pop quiz. So this is Sunday school. It is school. We are here to learn. And so we have quizzes. Um, so if you are brave enough, I'm going to ask you some true or false questions. And uh, hopefully some of you can volunteer your answers. It's okay if you're wrong. These are hard questions. Um, the first five are review of last week. So uh, number one, true or false? Listen carefully, please. Uh, the Son of God incarnate, Jesus Christ, is one person. The Son of God in the flesh is one person. True or false? Evan says true. Ding, ding, ding. Good job. Uh, it is true. The Son of God in the flesh is one person. Okay, true or false? The Son of God incarnate, Jesus Christ, is one nature made up of divinity and humanity. False. Good job. Good job. Okay, so that is false. He is not one nature. He is two natures. Uh, the Son of God incarnate, Jesus Christ, is one person with two natures, divine nature and human nature. True or false? True. Good job. That is correct. Number four, true or false? The soul of the Son of God entered into a human body. The soul of the Son of God entered into a human body. False. False. The person of the Son of God took on a human nature, which is body and soul. A human soul and a human body. Okay, last one for review. True or false? The Son of God emptied himself of privileges as God by assuming a human nature. Is that not saying you're true? <laughs> okay. Yes, true. So the Son of God emptied himself of the privileges of God, as God by assuming a human nature. Okay, so this, this is what we're going to talk about today. So these might be a little harder for you. True or false? God died on the cross. Okay, okay, it is true. That's oh, that's the answer that I'll give. Yes. Okay, uh, true or false? Since Jesus is God in the flesh, and God knows everything, Jesus did not really grow in wisdom and in stature, as Luke says about him. 
Since Jesus is God in the flesh and God knows everything, Jesus didn't really grow in wisdom. True or false? Tony? False. That is false. Correct. Okay, similar question. True or false? Uh, James 1.13 says, God cannot be tempted by evil. Jesus is God. So Jesus was never truly tempted. False. Good. <laughs> True or false? Jesus says, the Father is greater than I, in John 14.28. So this is talking about Christ's submission to the Father in his human nature, not in his divine nature. Somebody said True. <laughs> Okay, uh, I would say that's false, <laughs> but we can talk about that. Um, so, uh, Christ's submission uh, it seems to be, I would think in the Bible, his human nature submitting to the Father. Okay, true or false, in his divine nature, the Son of God knew the day of his return, but in his human nature, he did not know the day of his return, according to Matthew twenty four thirty six. Does that make sense? True? Yes, that is true. All right, so that's basically, uh, you, you, got, you pretty much got all the right answers, so maybe we don't need to have the class, but this is basically what we're going to talk about today. All right, so what we want to talk about is the person of the Son adding a human nature. And so the person of the Son doesn't take on a human person. So he's not like an alien taking over a human body, going into some human being's body that, that is created and existed, uh, exists. And so it's the person, the Son of God, who is the second person of the Trinity. He has a divine nature as the Son of God, and he adds a human nature. So there's no existence of this human nature without the person the Son of God. Does that make sense? So he doesn't create a human person and go into it. He creates a human nature and the person uh, joins himself to the human nature. We see this in John 1.14. It says, the word became flesh. It's talking about the Son of God as the, the person um, it doesn't say a divine nature takes on flesh. It says a person, the word, became flesh. So again, the person with a divine nature adds on to that the human nature. Uh, remember from last week that the person is the, the subject. He's the one who is doing the things. He is the actor. And so it's the person of the son who, because he has a human nature, does the human things that he does. So he thinks as a man, he chooses as a man, he acts as a man, he suffers as a man, he dies as a man. But he's doing all those things in his human nature. So it's his human nature through which he's doing those things, but it's the person, the Son of God, doing those things. Okay, so we're going to look at this from a few more angles. So how do those things relate to each other, the person and the nature. Uh, do you remember the Chalcedonian Creed from last week that we looked at? 
It says that the two natures of Christ, they don't mix with each other. Okay, so they don't combine. Um, so I'm going to use hand motions. I hope my hand motions aren't heresy. I tried to think about this, if they're heresy or not. I don't think they are. Uh, so this would be a mixture. Divine nature, divine nature, human nature, mixture. Creating some third nature. That would be a heresy. So the creed is saying that's not what it is. Um, there are two natures, but they are united. Okay, so this is, this is how I would make the hand motion. They're united somehow. United, but not mixed. And the creed says they are not separated. So that would be another problem. That was the heresy that they were talking about in that creed. People who believed the natures were separated. So here's the hard part to understand. How are they united, but not mixed together? And what we're trying to say here is that what is uniting them is the personhood of the Son of God. Maybe you've heard R.C. Sproul say this. Um, he says, uh, what happens if you distinguish between my soul and my body? Can you make a distinction? Do you think? Is there a difference between my soul and my body or your soul and your body? Yes. Yes, they're not the same thing, right? You can distinguish between your soul and your body. But what happens if you separate the soul and the body? You're dead. If you separate your soul from the body, you're dead. So we can't separate the natures of Christ. But even though they're united, we can distinguish them. They are different. They are two different natures. So one person says, what is true of each nature is true of the Son, who is the subject of both. Okay, so the Son is the subject of both. They, they, they are united because they're united in the Son of God. So, can you say that the Son of God is self-existent and depends upon nothing for his existence? Yes. But can you say the Son of God was hungry and depended on food because after 40 days of fasting, he was starving? Yes. They are both things true, united in the same person, the Son of God. Now, that first statement is true of his divine nature. The second statement is true of his human nature. But we can say the same thing about Jesus, the Son of God, because they are united in him. Uh, let's look at the Second London Confession, which I think is in the back of the hymnal. And it is on page 675. So this is chapter 8. This is the chapter on Christ. And remember that in the confession, they talk about the person of Christ in the context of his work of salvation, because that's why it matters to get it right. 
because you need to understand how he's the true Savior. And so we're going to be looking at paragraph 7. This is basically what we've been talking about. So on page 675, you'll see that number 7. It says, Christ, in the work of mediation, acteth according to both natures, by each nature doing that which is proper to itself. Yet, by reason of the unity of the person, that which is proper to one nature is sometimes in Scripture attributed to the person denominated by the other nature. Okay, so Christ acts according to both natures. And then he says, they say, each nature does what's proper to itself. The divine nature does not get hungry, right? So you can't say that about the divine nature. The human nature does get hungry. So he's acting according to his human nature when he gets hungry. Okay, so each nature does what's proper to itself. But then it says, yet, yet because of the unity of the person. So you see, what is it that unites the natures? It's the person. There's unity in the person. So what is proper to one nature is sometimes in Scripture attributed to the person denominated by the other nature. Okay. Sometimes Christ acts according to his divine nature. He walks on water and he heals. He says to Nathaniel, I saw you while you were under the fig tree. He has this divine knowledge about Nathaniel. And sometimes Jesus acts according to his human nature. He weeps, he's hungry, he's sad, he learns things, he gets tired. All of these are human attributes. Now, what it's saying in that last part of the paragraph is that when you talk about Christ, even in the Bible, sometimes it says the man does God-like things of the divine nature, and sometimes the divine does human things. And the reason that the Bible can talk that way is because you're referring to the same person. The unity of those natures is in the person doing them, the Son of God. Uh, the confession cites two passages, so let's look those up. The first one is John chapter 3, verse 13. John three, thirteen. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And so in the confession, they're understanding Son of Man to be a reference to his manhood, Jesus as a man. And so this verse would be saying, that the man descended from heaven. Now, is that, is that technically really what happened? No. 
right? The Son of God, the divine Son of God, descended from heaven and took on a human nature in the womb of Mary. So it wasn't a man who descended from heaven. And so how is it not heresy? <laughs> because it's the Bible. The Bible is referring to him this way, so we can't say it's heresy. Well, it's because it's the person, the person of the Son, who can even be referred to as man. And so even as a man, you can talk about him doing these divine things. And we'll see the opposite example in Acts. So turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Okay, so he obtained the church with his own blood. Who is the he? In this verse, it's referring to God, right? God, so you can say God, purchased the church with his blood. So, does God technically have blood? Does, does the divine nature have blood? No, of course not. The divine nature doesn't have blood. But, the Son of God took on the human nature, which includes blood, and because the Son of God is God you can refer to him as God, okay? You can refer to him as God doing a human thing. But it's not the divine nature doing it, it's the human nature. The human nature bleeds. The human nature dies. The human nature is crucified. But because of the unity of the person, you can talk about the person of the Son. Even, um, you can even talk about the other nature, Okay, so that's what, that's what they're doing in the Bible. Um, so yes, God dies on the cross in the sense of what we mean by that. That it's the person of the Son of God who dies on the cross. And he dies not in his divine nature, but in his human nature. One more uh, passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 8. And this is just the same, same point. Uh, None of the rulers of this age understood this, seeing the wisdom of God. For if they had, if they had understood this, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And so Lord of glory is a title of his divinity. He's God. He's the Lord. Can you crucify the Lord? Well, technically, no. You can't crucify the divine nature. You can't kill God. But 
When the Son of God takes on flesh, you can talk about the person of the Son, Jesus Christ, as being crucified. And so it is biblical to say they crucified the Lord of glory. So this is how we can understand all these things that are hard to understand in the Bible uh, when it comes to the natures of Christ. So what about the Son being eternal? In John 8, 58, you don't have to look up all these, but Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. You have a man standing in front of you. He's like 30 years old, 30-ish years old. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. So what's he talking about? He's talking about his divine nature, not himself as a human being. Uh, but as the Son of God, he has a, the divine nature, and he was eternal. Okay, what about the Son's omnipresence? He is everywhere. Uh, Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, Lo, I am with you always. He is with us always. Well, in his divine nature, he is everywhere. He is with us always. But in his human nature, he is in heaven, physically sitting at the Father's right hand. So his body is in heaven, and yet in his divine nature, he can say, I am with you always. Uh, that's, we're going to talk more about that one next week, that whole concept of, of how God operates even in the human nature of Christ. Okay, um, now here's a, this one will, this one will get you uh, talking, I think. <laughs> so remember the Chalcedonian Creed last week. Do you remember that it said Mary was the God-bearer? So what do you think? You think it's appropriate to call Mary the God-bearer? Tony? Huh? No, okay. Correct. But should we do something just because the Catholic Church <laughs> does it? No, I'm just saying this. My point is that, that she isn't the God-bearer. Okay, in, in what sense? Well, she's, she didn't, you know, so God is in three persons. She didn't, she didn't, she bore Jesus Christ, the right. Son of God, but she didn't bear the Holy Spirit and the Holy Father. And right. God, God is three persons. That is correct. You are absolutely right about that. <laughs> so she did not bear the Trinity. Yes. Anybody else? So I think we have both sides. There's a bad way to think about it, and there's a way that it would be okay to think about it, right? Now, we could debate. I think we can debate is, is it wise to use that title today, especially, you know, we've had the centuries of tradition from the Roman Catholic Church, right? And so I think in our context, when we hear the words, it's like we think of everything the church teaches about Mary, 
right? And so, so we don't want to encourage people to worship Mary, right? We don't want to elevate Mary above any other human being. So we don't want to think about it in that sense. The only way that it would be an accurate title would be if we think about it in the Acts 20 sense. God purchased the church with his own blood. The person, the Son of God, died on the cross. So the person that Mary gave birth to was the Son of God in a human nature. Um, so do we want to refer to her that way? You know, you can debate that. It's, I, I would say maybe there's lack of... Uh, there, there would cause a lot of confusion in our day. But in the creed, were they making a true statement? They were trying to make a true statement by saying it wasn't a human body that God took over. It was the very God himself who took on flesh. That was the one in the womb of Mary. And so there were the, the heretics, the Nestorians. This was really the, the thing that they were arguing about. He said, um, Mary gave birth to the Christ. He gave birth to the Christ, or she gave birth to the Christ. And uh, the, the, the main guy arguing with him, his name was Cyril. Cyril insisted, no, he's not, you don't just call him the Christ, you have to call him God. Because he was truly God in the womb of Mary. So, hope that's an, expl uh, that's an explanation that makes sense. Um, we can refer to the person as God, even in doing the human things, like the Bible does in Acts chapter 20. Let's look next at Matthew 24. Uh, verse 46, uh, not verse 46, uh, 36. Matthew 24, 36. Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So this is one of the clear places where we see that it seems as if the Son is saying he does not know something. He doesn't know the, the day or hour of, of his return. So how do you think about it? Well, hopefully, after we've been going through this for about 30 minutes now, uh, hopefully you can you can predict what I'm about to say. In his human nature, he did not know. Because he did have to learn things. He did grow in knowledge. He had to learn how to talk. He learned Aramaic. He learned how to how to uh, do carpentry, to do his job. So there are things that he had to learn as a man. So there, he doesn't know things as a man in his human nature. 
But as the Son of God, he did know everything in his divine nature. His divine nature knows everything because he's God. And remember from last week, he doesn't empty himself of any attribute of God when he becomes man. So his divine nature knows everything. So how can he refer to himself as the son of God here who doesn't know something? Well, because of the unity of the person. He's referring to himself as the person, the son of God. So, uh, so that's, the, that's the theological lesson. Now, remember why all of this is important. And I know you guys, you all know this. But uh, I once watched a show called Mythbusters. You, probably, you know Mythbusters. And, and this show was about how this person was trying to escape from a car as the car was underwater. And so he got into the car. The car is lowered into this pool of water. And they time him to see how long uh, it took him to get out and if he, if he was able to get out of the car while it's submerged underwater. And he wasn't able to get out in time. But he didn't die. You know why he didn't die? Because in the seat beside him, he had a scuba tank where he could get oxygen at any point that he needed. And he was getting, getting lowered into a pool. And so at the edge of the pool, there were paramedics and all these people there to help him. And so even though he faced this, supposedly he's simulating this dangerous situation, he had help right away. He could get out of it at any point. And I think that sometimes when we think about Christ, that's how we think about him. We think, well, I know the Bible says that he's human, but really, he's also God. And so at any point, he could have just turned on that God side of him. If he wants to know something, he just like goes over to his divine nature and he, he learns. You know, oh, Jesus didn't really have to uh, learn Aramaic. He's God. He could have just learned it himself. Whatever it is, and when it comes to his suffering, we might think, well, Jesus didn't really suffer because he could have just had his divinity giving him power to do anything that he wanted to avoid the suffering. And so that's why it is really important to understand what's happening here, that these natures really don't mix together in any way. The only unity is the unity of the person. Hebrews 2, verse 14 says, Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And then in verse 16 it says, For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, therefore, because he doesn't help spiritual angels, he helps Abraham's offspring. Therefore, he had to. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Every respect. No 
bit of cheating by putting on the mask of the divine nature. No bit of uh, getting some painkillers from the divine nature while he's on the cross. Every bit of his suffering and his obedience was done in his human nature, like us, in every respect. And so that's why he can be merciful and faithful high priest. So we're going to conclude by singing, uh, And Can It Be? And Charles Wesley knew his Bible pretty well. And so he wrote some lines in here that are related to what we are talking about. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? How could God die for us? Well, it's because of the person of the Son. And then another stanza, he says, "'Tis mystery all, the immortal dies." How can the immortal die? Well, the things that we've been studying and thinking about, they are mysteries, and so they should lead us to worship. So that's what we want to do. We want to finish by worshiping Christ. So this is hymn number 731, I believe. Uh, Yes, 731, and can it be? So let's sing together.